0: This is Shane Gibson's podcast from ClosingBigger.net. Today we're going to talk about the Consumer Republic with Bruce Philp. He's the author of Consumer Republic, and uh, as well as the book The Orange Coat. And uh, I've been following him for quite a time, uh, t- quite a time on Twitter, actually. Uh, great updates, uh, great insight, and I'm excited to have him on the show today. So, Bruce, thanks a lot for uh, logging in. Well, thanks for the invitation. So The Consumer Republic, I found this very enchanting, uh, you know, the description, uh, what the book's about, I uh, can't wait to get my hands on it, and it's really about the fact that today, consumers have power over the marketplace, and that it's essentially political, and I think it's really a, an interesting perspective from someone who's who's worked in the marketplace helping major corporations brand for a number of years. You know, what inspired you to write the book?
1: Well, that's a great question, uh, because I I think the easy take on this is that I've somehow defected from the marketing world, (laughs) you know, uh, and kind of come in from the cold, and and I'm trying to, you know, militarize the the consumer to to kind of do battle. And and in fact, the the book is predicated on a a bigger idea than that, and and even in a sense connects to the Orange Code on this idea. And and the idea is that uh, marketplaces are democracies, and I see myself, um, you know, as, as, as a guy, trying to defend that um, and like any democracy you have to have uh, accountability on the part of the people who are running for office and I think maybe as we as we talk uh, you'll see that that's a fairly robust analogy for branding um, but you also need an engaged uh, electorate so the so Consumer Republic basically says to people look we've got to face uh, the power that we have over corporations, um, as not now not only consumers but as participants in the marketplace conversation, and use that power because uh, trust me, it works um, to actually give the system a conscience, and uh, and the book sort of probes that at, at three levels. It, it it the first section. Attempts to convince you of what I've just said. Uh, the second uh, talks about how we might consume differently in order to to be that conscience.
0: And then the third talks a bit about um, actually putting that power uh, to work in a more practical way. So convince us. Talk about talk about the consumer republic. Why it exists? Why the consumer has the power now over the marketer? What's occurred? <sighs>
1: Well, in a sense, I think it's always been there. Um, you know, in that the, the the system certainly, as far as uh, corporations that do business with with consumers uh, are concerned, of you know the sort of business to business and industrial world is a bit different. Um, they've always depended on convincing us to part with our money. Um, but the 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 sort of corporate controlled, you know. One-way media universe in which most of us grew up kind of concealed the real nature of that system because we 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 were uh, kind of taught didactically how to uh, perceive brands and 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 we were persuaded in a, in a kind of a, a primitive salesmanship model uh, to to want them or not to want them and in a process that really began with you know cable TV um, and then just picked up speed as the internet came along and then more recently social media. These things have revealed that the consumer's reaction to that stuff is way more complex than uh, you know than than you know the, the marketers of the 1950s and 60s might have hoped, um, and way more two-way. Um, and so, so the the, the the premise of the book, as I mentioned earlier, is that the marketplace is is a democracy. Um, the brands are running for office, and the consumers are are. Um, voting on it. The reason that this matters um, is that uh, I think there's a there's a growing kind of anti-marketing sentiment right now, um, and and there, there was actually some good data in the wake of the economic meltdown to suggest that consumers uh, in the U.S. in particular were inclined to blame um, you know Madison Avenue for some of what had gone wrong and you know my contention is that that uh, we have to remember that if there are no brands there is no choice in the marketplace and if there is no choice then consumers have no power and 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 so therefore to turn our backs on the system would actually be destructive um instead what we need to do is figure out how to engage constructively and uh and so hence this kind of conceit about the uh, about democracy and uh Uh, And and the need to kind of remind people in the friendliest and most persuasive way possible, you may hate marketing,
0: but you need it. So, you know, sort of the, the concept that, you know, people are advocating that right now in the U.S., you know, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. And you know, which is a much you know wider topic, which you know we don't have to dig into politically. No. <laughs> uh, but but the reality is is that the consumer in general, whoever we are, actually has has always had the influence, but has more influence ever uh, more than more than ever today.
1: Yeah, that's right. And and the the, the way that that influence has become deeper. Uh, I mean, there there are there are many ways, um, but but the way that I think is probably most interesting. Uh, to your audience is the capacity for surveillance that corporations now have. Um, the the they are now capable, and this really connects to the uh, the discussion that you had recently about uh, Malcolm Gladwell's um, you know assertion that <laughs> social media can't make change, and my my argument. In opposition to that was no what social media does is reveal a spectrum of emotion and the spectrum of commitment to opinion it it, it it tells you that the world isn't this binary place that's on or off, but rather there's you know millions and millions of people who have millions and millions of degrees of um, Emotional, you know, commitment to their opinions, and that's worth knowing. Well, the, the corporate world now has a mechanism for surveilling that, and um, uh, the the most obvious example of this is is simply you know, Google's, you know, tremendously accelerated capacity to track uh, conversations in social media and to track and qualify, uh, you know, customer satisfaction feedback and and all that kind of thing. So, that, so that if I go on online to look for a great pair of a uh, great set of snow tires. Um, The odds are very good that I won't have to get too many pages deep before I find not only the the ones people seem to like the most, but but also why and and who's been dissatisfied and why and, uh, and, and stuff like that. There's an anecdote in the book um about how i was cutting my lawn with an 18 month old john deere garden tractor and the engine had a catastrophic failure in the middle of the lawn (laughs) so i went back uh at the end of the afternoon after pushing the the little lawnmower around to finish the job i went back to my computer and just tweeted something grumpy about john deere um really not intending to accomplish anything it was just uh, really a chance to be to be funny and vent. And um, within an hour, someone from Deer had visited my blog, um, and you know, which I could see from um Uh, analytics. Now, they chose not to reach out to me, uh, and I guess the conclusion was I wasn't important enough to be nervous about, but I I took some satisfaction in knowing (laughs) that somebody there in Moline, Illinois, had noticed that somebody was grumpy about their John Deere garden tractor, and that it was at least worth the effort of finding out whether this guy was dangerous or not. Uh, That's the Consumer Republic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is, that's, you know, I... One of the things when I sit down with corporations and they say, you know, should we be involved in social media? And we search their brand on Twitter search because for a lot of these executives, it's the first time they actually are exposed to a a search of, you know, 150 million humans' conversations. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, they ask me, how how do we stop them from talking about us that way? (laughs) How do we litigate them? Uh, The answer is you can't. You know, you no longer... You no longer own your brand, and I think that's a challenge for even some very traditionally savvy marketers. to get their their head around that. Now, you you founded uh, along with your partner or partners, uh, GWP Brand Engineering, which was, uh, as you stated, uh, based upon the description I read, you you were you were founding the the agency of the future. And uh, which is a very, you know, it's a very lofty goal and I know you did some great things uh, with that organization. And I guess my my question is, is is what is the agency of the future? I mean, now that the consumer is empowered, how has that changed, you know, traditional marketing organizations? Well,
1: I'll go back to this analogy of uh, of the election campaign. Um, the, if you think about your brand as a candidate um, in an election campaign, you start to get a clearer idea of of how the dynamics of the market really work now, which is to say that, you can control what your candidate says, and you can control what he wears when he does a factory visit or, or, or a hospital you know, visit or goes on a news you know, television program. Um, and you can control his backstory to some extent, but what you can't control is what a journalist might find if they dig a little deeper. You can't control what your opponents might say. You can't control an unkind or an inaccurate you know, piece of press coverage or something that you've done. And so you, in, in an election situation, you are a character with a point of view but you are not in control of the story. And uh, um, that is, that's really the, the, the massive change from the mid-20th century is, is that marketers, and a lot, of, a lot of us are still trained that way, um, believe that it's all about control. How can I control when this information gets out? How can I control who sees it? You know, what adult, 18 to 34, you know, is going to have an opportunity to hear what I've got to say? And, and of course, as you know very well, um, that's just not how it works anymore. So the, the agency of the future, whoever finally pulls that off, is going to be uh, much less concerned with tactics, um, and that's going to be a hard drug to, to kick because uh, it's been pretty lucrative for agencies in the past, and much more concerned with narrative, um, and, and and in particular with character. So, you know, the, the ING Direct, for example, a brand that uh, was the subject of my last book and that I think uh, you know a bit about... You know, we've said many times that that brand is a constitution for organizational behavior. Um, you know, what what's really behind that was the choice that we're going to focus on uh, letting people observe uh, what our character is and what our motivations are. And then we'll just let the marketplace have its way, uh, you know, with us, and, and uh, which is pretty much the same way as you try to win an election.
0: So when we look at... Uh, social media and people say, you know, I don't know if we want to let our, our company or our staff tweet or open up those channels of communication. Do, do you think that, and you know, maybe some industries, it's not a good idea. I'm not sure. I believe it is uh, in every industry. Mm-hmm. But from that perspective, you know, from a social media perspective, do, do we really have a choice now? If the consumer is completely empowered, do we really have a choice whether or not we're participating in that type of media?
1: Well, you know, from a corporate point of view, I think uh, you know the whole WikiLeaks thing uh, probably is a shot over our bow that that we we may not have a choice about whether the people who work for us uh, are talking online. <laughs> you know, uh, so so it's probably worth kind of parking that thought. Uh, in, in terms of whether corporation is you know in quote should allow this, I think it it really boils down to to corporate culture. If if you have if there is a seamless Um, you know, connection between the culture of your organization and the promise you make to the consumer and and the fact of your behavior, then um, having people on the team engaged in social media is going to be very positive because all it's going to do is continually authenticate what you say you are. Um, If, on the other hand, you have a corporation that's, um, you know, highly managed and highly, you know, structured and and, uh, the brand is just a happy mask that it wears, but really it's, you know, it's kind of an industrial age thing, and you, and you do see this in, uh, in big package goods companies, for example, um, then, then, then maybe not because the, 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 then maybe you shouldn't let everybody talk because not everybody is there for the same reason. Um, and, uh, and if you have any capacity to control that, it may not be in your interest to, you know, to, to, to show them. I, I believe in a world in which every corporation has a strong enough culture to allow that. I'm not sure that that's the
0: world we're in at the moment. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I, I did a, my last podcast was talking about, you know, why you, sh- why you should and shouldn't let your sales team tweet and, mm. you know, post stuff to the web. Yeah, that's and very a, good. a couple of my reasons uh, were, you know, number one, your your product sucks. <laughs> you know, number number two, your company culture sucks and, you know, and and and, uh, okay. and so does, you know, so does your culture. Uh, and, you know, those are good reasons why you don't want people communicating to the marketplace because once you put yourself out there, that, you know, and say, hey, we're communicating, and the consumer will take a run at you if, if you're not being transparent. Yeah. And I think that that is that is a liability which many corporations are afraid of. Um, but you know, back to what you said about WikiLeaks, they they can only hide for so long. And I think that um, you know Jeff Booth from BuildDirect.com, the CEO, said to me, you know, it's really about relevancy. If you're not online, you're to many consumers. If you're not online in social media, you're you're not relevant uh and i think that's that's you know for many consumers that's a reality if they can't dig in and communicate with you they don't want to do business with you so what are some of your thoughts if if i uh, let's say i'm uh, I, I don't know I'm, I'm i'm a ceo of a major automotive manufacturer and uh, i'm looking at the consumer of the future or the consumer of today that which is you know very much um, you know Uh, they're they're driving the republic what is your advice to these people what is your advice at the at the senior level for me the ceo uh to profit from this to engage to really really uh use it to my advantage Hmm. well i
1: think the first thing you have to do is uh accept the fact that you're the brand manager um, if if you are in charge of the organization, if you're where the buck stops, uh, and you're making the decisions about resource allocation and culture, then then you're the guy who's in charge of the brand, no matter what uh, your org chart might say. I think that's the uh, that's the first key. Uh, I think the second one is that you have to understand that the modern brand is not a mirror for the consumer. It's a lighthouse. Um, you, you, as ridiculous as this may sound, you actually have to, to think a little bit less about your, uh, about your customers and think a little bit more about who you authentically are. Um, and then if who you authentically are is attractive to enough people, then they'll come. And, and if it isn't, then you probably didn't stand a chance in the first place. Um, I think the third thing is probably has a lot to do with introspection. You you have to be willing to um, uh, spend some time interrogating that and and, um, and 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 seeing whether your culture is sort of up to the task. It's very much an internal, an inside out kind of process. Uh, if that makes sense, the, Absolutely. The, the, I think, I think those would be the sort of top three things. And, I, I, you know, and I, I think it goes without saying that, um, that you have to find a way to be, uh, you have to find the, you have to find a, an attractive authenticity about yourself as well as about the company. It doesn't mean you have to turn into, uh, you know, a, a, a prodigy of Dale Carnegie. You just have to be, you know, have to be real, um, because right now being a lie is actually worse than being bad. <laughs> yeah. Um and uh and that's the you know, that's the sin that uh, you know Tony Hayward got sent to Siberia for, for example. <laughs> um, I, I think that from a leadership perspective that th- those are the are the first the first conversations I'd have.
0: So thinking from a, a guerrilla marketing perspective, um I I'm a small company, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I don't have the bucks that the big guys do. Uh, is this is this trend this consumer republic is this is this to my advantage?
1: Yeah, I think it is if you're willing to if you're willing to engage as a, as a leader. I mean, small companies are are kind of funny because um, there's there's that awkward moment when you have to decide when as the leader you're the. Uh, you're, you know, who's leading from the front on the battlefield versus when you become, uh, you know, a politician in the background kind yeah. of thing. There's that awkward moment in growth when you have to make that choice. And I think a lot of people, a lot of leaders, and I've, I've made this mistake myself, go uh, take the second option too soon um if you're a small company in this environment uh i think that what the leader has to do is reach out directly to the consumer uh, around the organization um don't let the organization mediate for you um you know go out there and say what's on your mind and make them catch up uh i think that the 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 leaders of ing direct in, in both canada and the u.s have been very good at this they they don't um uh, tend to let their presence in the in the community of, of customers and and beyond uh, get controlled and managed by the people underneath them. They do that themselves. Yeah. And although neither of those uh, organizations could be considered small, I think that's good advice. Um, you know, in we,
0: ING in Canada, from a from a footprint perspective, in a traditional perspective, they are small. I mean, they've got a few physical cafes and most yeah. of their businesses online, so they're actual the number of humans that are interacting with that $30 billion of assets under management, I think, was the last time I checked, is actually quite small. I mean, they are, they're smaller than, than Second Cup. <laughs> you know, they are. They are, as a, as a people's perspective. So I think it is a valid analogy. I mean, they are from a people perspective, they're not a big team. And yeah. It's very interesting how they've, they've empowered their staff, uh, to reach out and, and connect uh, with the community. I mean, I saw Amina Sandhu, uh, Va- Vancouver's office here, or Vancouver's cafe, speak at the, the Unmarketing event here uh, for that book launch. And, you know, she really talked about what they're doing to get online. And, and I thought it was really interesting that, you know, Peter Asito basically just, you know, sent her an email and said, uh, you know, get engaged yeah <laughs> that was that was that was the complete level of direction get engaged i am let's do it and uh you know sometimes that's all people need is the permission to connect do, do you think that that one of the challenges uh with doing this is and i mean this is a bit of a leading question but one of the challenges of doing this is that you know our average employee is used to working in an environment that they that you know corporations d- want to really vet how they connect
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that I think that is a
0: big a big issue and
1: and what's behind it is 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 a a tendency to massively overestimate risk uh, in this regard. Uh, one of the things that 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 marketing in the you know 21st century, one of the characteristics that it has that that we didn't have in the past is that you have to do a million things instead of ten things. I mean, the, the, in the past there was this kind of orderly 19th century military model where you kind of like made a plan at the beginning of the year and you you decided you were going to do ten things and here's the blocking chart and here's the budget and you hit the deploy button and you wait to see how it turned out and then. You measure the results, and you rinse and repeat, and that's how a lot of us were trained. Um, the fact is now you, you can't operate that way. You you are not completely in control of the situation, as we talked about earlier, and and for every 10 things you used to do, you're not going to have to do 100 or 1,000 things. So marketing is a much busier, more chaotic process. The good news behind that is, though, that the, the public memory for specific um, it, it, initiatives is actually quite short, for specific events of any kind, really, I mean, is actually quite short. So people accumulate impressions about who you are, but they don't actually remember when you screw up, as long as you didn't screw up too often. <laughs> so, you know, if I said to you, uh, I, mean, I think I tweeted about this a couple weeks ago, you know, did anybody remember the Gap, the new Gap logo, you know, uh, debacle? And of course, you know, it's out of our minds. It was only a few weeks I, ago.
0: I didn't, I didn't remember until you just it. <laughs> yeah. true, no, it's I was following it. it.
1: You know, and, and on a vastly larger scale, uh, all is forgiven. You know, with Toyota, uh, you know, for example, and and the reason for this is that that the, that people have accumulated impressions about those brands, and every new thing that happens is considered in the context of that impression. And if it supports the story so far, then, then 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 it gets attached to it. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. In Toyota's case, for example, the, you know, the the last forty years of that company's history have had to do with you know relentlessly pursuing you know quality. And so the concern was prepared to forgive them uh, a couple of million screw-ups because um, it, was, it didn't fit the story. Uh, it had to be an anomaly. So the reason that, I, the reason that I'm pointing this out to, to return to your question is that, that we, we can't turn an employee loose on social media and worry that they're going to say one thing wrong and bring down the empire. Um, we have to expand that they're going to say some things wrong, but trust that most things they'll get right. And these days, that's how marketing works. You get it mostly right.
0: Yeah, And I think, it, yeah, it's more humanized. I yep. mean, you, you know, I don't expect you and I to uh, go to dinner and for every single thing you say over that conversation to be perfect. Yep. I expect you to be human. And I think that, that the consumer expects that type of conversation now. I think that they don't expect... And I don't think, I mean, this is my opinion, but I don't think they, they want necessarily a polished image of a brand anymore. They, they, want, get it. they distrust it. They, yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. that, you know, if it's too polished, they distrust it. Um, now, that responsibility, let's go back to the consumer. We, you, you talk about in the book that, you know what, we have the power. We have the capacity to influence brands. It's, it's highly political. So what responsibility comes along with that as a consumer? <laughs>
1: Well, I, you know, the book sort of suggests that you you have to begin by considering the kind of world you want to live in, and that includes uh, both the economic and environmental dimensions. And then you have to make buying decisions and 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 conversation decisions that uh, reinforce that kind of behavior. There's a, a sort of tongue-in-cheek phrase that turns up in the book a few times: is that the corporation is a cow. And mm-hmm. and and the reason that I I say this is that people have to think of these things as is big, dumb, single-purpose organisms um, who will do whatever is necessary, what, who will continue to do whatever works and will stop doing whatever doesn't work. And the definition of works is, you know, shareholder value, all the things that we learned businesses are all about. So, um, so, for example, you can't, as a consumer, complain about bad corporate behavior with respect to the environment or with respect to labor practices in the third world, but then turn around and expect your patio furniture to cost $399. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you have to accept that, um, that, that these, these decisions, they hear you when you say online, I got a great deal on my patio furniture. And they hear you when you put your credit card down to buy that patio furniture. They don't hear you when you uh, are rabbiting on about, um, you know, about uh, you know, labor practices in the, <laughs> in the third world if it doesn't happen to be attached to something of commercial value. And I, and I, I don't defend that. Uh, I just, it's just the way it is. So, you know, in my mind, the cover of the of the book, as you probably notice, has a toaster on it, and that's because the the book begins and ends with a broken toaster that I have. And and at one point, uh, you know, in there, I sort of muse aloud that if I had bought a better toaster, um, and it lasted ten years instead of three i would I would and if everybody did that very same thing the 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 number of toasters would have to be made would fall by more than half, <laughs> which means less stainless steel, less plastic, less shipping, all that stuff right you know which sounds you know kind of um Kind of environmentally focused, but but really the message is larger. If I want quality, um, I have to buy, I have to buy quality. If I if I, if I want corporations to, uh you know to make fewer things, and I have to be willing to let them make more money on those things. And if if um, uh and if I'm unhappy, I got to make sure that the, that the world hears me. Um so so the duty I think the consumer has is to engage not just rhetorically, but to engage in their behavior as well. There's a phrase that um, uh, turns up in one of the chapter titles, by by the change you wish to see in the world. (laughs) With apologies to Gandhi. (laughs) Yeah,
0: but that's, uh, you know, you are, you you are, you must be the change. What is is the quote? I've got it written here on my wall, actually. You must be the change uh, you want to see in the world. And I think that is, you know, the, the consumer has that. That power, I, I think a lot of the times, and this is just they don't realize the level of influence they have. I, I think that we don't, and I think that it's a, you know, for a marketer, it's a, it's a great, it's a, it's a great, it sounds like a great read for the marketer, but as a consumer, I think it's also a great realization that, you know, we're no longer powerless nodes or anonymous individuals. I mean, the the capacity... Um, you know, Scott Heiferman from um, Hefferman, sorry from um, meetup dot com the CEO talks about the fact that you know gr- the most exciting thing about uh, the web on your phone is is not you know or the most exciting thing is not the fact that you 've got the internet on your phone it 's the thousands of people who now can self organize using that tool yeah and I, I think that the the self organizing capacity you know we saw it in the last u s election. Uh, you know, we're seeing it to you know a large degree, uh, even as marketers here. I know one of the challenges, and this is interesting, is that one of the challenges for major boards of trades and chambers of commerce all throughout North America is is their members don't need to go to the board anymore if they won't have a meeting with a hundred people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, they, they they can tweet it out and post it on a local site, and people show up, and and that uh, that influence I think is still many people are unaware of it. Um, what, what, what happens, what happens when we finally become very conscious of the fact that this is what's going on?
1: Well, I think that, uh, that moment is, is probably still ahead of us the, you know, the, the early adopters have, uh, forever been terrible predictors of mass market behavior. And, um, uh, you know, the, the, a great example is the recent mayoral election in Toronto, where if you followed the story on Twitter, you would have assumed uh, a vastly different outcome than the one that actually took place. And the reason simply was that the majority of people who showed up on election day to vote weren't on Twitter, or if they were, they weren't talking. Um, yeah. So that's so much as to say that um, I think that the, the majority of, uh, of typical consumers have not yet settled on what their behavior is going to be. Um, you know, you have a, a still a relatively small group of highly mobilized, highly vocal, you know, people who are controlling a conversation online, um, and 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 at the moment, the the mass of people are simply finding that conversation in the in in, in the context of search or or something like that, um, but aren't necessarily participating in it. And I think that marketers are probably a little bit sanguine about this whole thing uh, in a lot of cases because of that uh they 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 don't they they're not sure how this is going to actually be in, in a sustained way uh so they're not you know they're not terribly motivated to do anything bold about it um you know my guess is that uh that this is this is going to Turn out just like uh, you know the real world does, <laughs> whereby you, you, we we all follow uh, the the conversations of, of 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 a vocal informal social leadership uh, and uh, and we guide our decisions accordingly. In which case, the the corporate need to uh, to attend to the opinion leaders is going to be you know is going to be paramount. Um, that's kind of how I think it's going to go. I really don't believe we're going to create a
0: a, a continent of uh, you know half a billion tweeters. I hope not. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to follow that conversation. Yeah, that's uh, right. And I think that you know one of one of the one of the one of my thoughts uh, you know is that you know going back to whether you're just an individual entrepreneur or a corporation. Because I, I, you know, and I do agree with that. People are going to follow the opinions of people they trust to make their business decisions and political decisions based upon that. And it might not be the politician they trust. It's going to be somebody who's, uh, you know, a pundit who's got uh, uh, a perspective on that. So you know, one of the things that you know Steve and I, Steve Jagger and I, talk about, uh, you know, when we do our our stuff around Sociable, is the importance of being a thought leader of having a unique voice and perspective. And gaining trust of the people around you, and I think that you know, as a marketer, I guess you know, going back to you know, the fact that not everybody's on Twitter, uh, not everybody's blogging, not everybody's even reading those things from a political perspective or a brand perspective. But how how important is it for a company to not wait to to start now to to begin to publish content and, and really let their value show online?
1: oh i think it's terribly important the, for, from a corporate point of view the earlier you get in the game the more leverage you get off the uh, off the content you create um and you can even see that in twitter i mean if you remember back to the the first year or two um you know the people who got in early and said a lot to this day have the biggest followings um and uh, and i think that phenomenon uh you know is 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 going to be paralleled um in the way that consumer in the way that corporations pardon me um dive into this thing. And, And even on a very practical level, you have to remember, uh, as a corporation that, that when you post up a blog or you say something on Twitter, um, you are creating content that gets indexed and added to your story, uh, you know, in search. Um, you know, search isn't a very sexy thing to be talking about these days. It's more of a social media world that we live in. But the fact is that a huge majority of Internet sessions begin, uh, you know, on uh, at Google, and Google is getting um, – you know, pretty darn good at collecting, uh, you know, so-called social media content and at weaving it into the, the portrait that gets painted on that first couple of pages of search results. So essentially, uh, I mean, I, I, um, I interviewed John Battelle for the book and, uh, and we had a, a great conversation about the simple fact that if you are silent, then only the angry people will, will be telling your story.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, okay. it, so if you're it, silent, only it, the angry people will be telling your story because they're yeah. the ones that are going to be found on search. That's right. Yeah. That's right.
1: So if if nothing else, you you want to you want to make sure that your side gets heard, and 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 hopefully it's, it's something more positive than that. But but the fact is that that if if you're silent, you um, uh, you're you're going to essentially delegate the telling of your story to the to the. Uh, to the amateurs out there who, uh, who are more likely to be vocal if they're unhappy than if they uh, than if they're not. And it was funny. I, I for the same chapter, I, I spent some time talking to Rahaf Harfoush, who worked on the social media team for for Bar- uh, Barack Obama's uh, uh, campaign a couple of years ago. And and she almost used exactly the same words that Patel used. You, you, you have to join the conversation. You have no choice. And and I really believe that's true.
0: So, fantastic. So, I am I guess the book launches February 1st, 2011 in Canada. That's right. Uh, and I guess probably, you know, at the same time concurrently in, in the United States. Um, uh, about six months later, I think, in the U.S. Uh, or, or a little more, sometime next fall. We don't have a
1: specific date yet. Um, but uh, Australia and New Zealand is going to be right after Canada. And, uh, and probably Italy and the U.S. in the fall, and we're hoping for other markets.
0: That's exciting. It is so, exciting. So uh, people can head off to learn more about you at brucephilp.com. That's yep. bruce brucephilp.com. Uh, if you want to learn about the books, it's forward slash books. Uh, you know what, this has been a, a great conversation. Uh, it's something I'm passionate about, and I, I really do believe uh, you know what you're talking about, the fact that it is a consumer republic. And that it isn't really an option anymore for companies to step out, to connect, uh, to to engage with the customer. Uh, you know, unless, as you said, you know, you, you want your, your critics uh, to be branding you online. And so thank you very much for uh, logging on and uh, being part of the program. And I'm looking forward to reading the book and following the book tour.
1: Well, thank you, Shane. I really appreciate your interest
0: great. So if you want uh, to learn more again, uh, once again, it's brucephilp.com. This is Shane Gibson's sales and social media podcast from closingbigger.net.